2: Well, hello, hello, hello. Leavers and believers, welcome to Leaving Hillsong. My name's Tanya and I'm so happy that you have decided to join us today. And it's some really important information. Some of you will be familiar with the Mercy Ministries, now Mercy Multiplied scandal, that happened in the late 2000s, if you're not tune in. Britt and Sarah from our past previous weeks in Delusions of Reference and the Prosperity Lounge got together to share their experiences of going into the residential rehab program for young women in trouble. And it's some pretty harrowing stuff. Trigger warnings all around. There's talk of suicidal ideations and... Abuse, violence, eating disorders, mental health struggles that plague so many people. But apart from that, it's a really important and interesting look into what actually took place under the hallowed halls of mercy, where there really wasn't much at all. So stick around, grab those snacks Nancy would hate that. And uh, settle in for part one of "Into the House." So, Britain, Sarah, very, very, very grateful to have you both here at the same time. Thank you for your time. And as we were chatting, we were just talking before. I said, "Are there any kind of massive trigger points?" And all you could come up with was uh, Brooke Fraser. Tell me about that. Let's start there. I think it's just that it's just the
3: first couple of chords of of a song that they used and they 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 meaning mercy and hillsong to pump the program and it's (laughs) yeah yeah as soon as you hear those first couple of chords of this particular song uh it's yeah it's all on but What,
2: what song is that
3: lifeline by brooke fraser
2: and I wonder what the uh,
3: kickbacks were there.
2: So, all right, we have met you before on the previous episodes and you guys are together at the moment because you went through the program together. Can you tell us, for those of us, or for, sorry, for people who haven't heard about Mercy Ministries, which was, I mean, you tell me. It, From my memory at the time, it was directly sponsored by Hillsong darlene and her husband had brought it out and it was a program for girls in trouble which originally was and so, pregnancies
0: do you remember do you, do you remember the, the blurb? it was mercy ministries is a presidential treatment program for girls between 16 and 29 who struggled with life controlling issues such life as controlling eating issues. disorders unplanned pregnancy Blah, 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 blah. It just depends how far back in time you go and how American you go with it, like, lesbianism. So it's just like... (laughs) That was on
2: one of the original application forms. So Mercy Ministries was started when?
0: By... 1983 by Nancy Alcorn. Originally, and this isn't widely known, it was called Covenant House Ministries, and I actually know people who were there in that time. I think the very, very original home was in Monroe and it is a different place than it is now before she kind of started like Mercy Ministries, the Mercy Mercy, I think Nashville. But mm-hmm. the Monroe home was, yeah, originally it was called Covenant Ministries, but that's not widely known. And so it started out very girls with unplanned, uh, unwed mothers and then so, you know, if you were an unwed mother or you had an unplanned pregnancy, you'd go there and live there for some undetermined amount of time. It could be up to a few years at that time. And then work out, you know, if you wanted to adopt your baby out or give birth to your baby, it was supposed to be, you know, this alternative mm-hmm. to abortion because we don't do abortions. That's a whole other topic I would love to get into. Oh, yeah. The adoption scheme. Yeah, to totally. We'll get yeah. there. Yeah, we'll get to the trafficking stuff one night. <laughs> And then it basically grew to girls with eating disorders. And then it kind of expanded from there as like this one size fits all girls with, with drug and alcohol problems. I think in America it was from the age of 13 to 29. And so it just expanded from there. And I think by the time it came to Australia, it was that like one size fits all under the umbrella of life controlling issues. Oh. Yeah. So by the time it came here, I think they had two or three homes open in the states and then we were the first international Okay okay
2: yeah. and Nancy Alcorn is she she used to be well, I mean what's what's her qualifications I know she was a uh, a gym teacher at a juvenile correctional center for girls that's one big red rainbow
0: flag there
2: and then how did she how
0: did she... all a... It's in her books but I think she had – I don't know if she had studied social science or social work or something but I know she was a social worker for a while. So like CPS kind of worker and going to houses and you know, taking kids or whatever. I know she did that for a while. And then when she was trying to start a home, I think she'd gone to – she'd started trying to network with like local political figures in the area and stuff and tried to kind of sell the idea. And she – this whole idea, she said, our whole thing is that we don't take government funding because then that restricts what we can do and what we want to do. So right. she had this, like that was one of, I think, the three underlying principles of what she was trying to do, because I think what she was trying to do was also, like, it was a religious program. So she's had this whole thing about not taking government funding. Do you remember what else, Brit? I think a biggest qualification was just her calling from God, which she decided
3: to push yeah. uh, in all of her topics, like in all of her sermons or or when she spoke. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Okay. I mean, I, did, I didn't realise they were still kind of that limited when they came to Australia. So whack us on the map, please, you two. How did each of you end up going? I mean, as comfortable as you like as much as you are comfortable to talk about uh you know give us the the intro into you guys meeting each other at mercy what you know life controlling issues what what made it an appealing program for what you were going through
0: well i okay i'm just trying to compress this information because it's just a bit i could talk too much i feel life and i'm sorry if i I'm asking the right questions, or would you? Know oh no, 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 no! It's Just all right. Go. So I came to be a mercy. So me and Britt did not know each other before mercy. I came to be a mercy in mid 2005. I had, as per previous podcast, I, I wouldn't, I didn't grow up in the church or Hillsong or anything. But I came to be at Hillsong in about 2002, and so, and I was there, and I was like the troubled guy. I had pretty bad depression, and later in life was diagnosed bipolar. And I think just yeah I I was really I, don't know, I was quite trauma affected from different things in my life that some of them were quite recent at that point but I'd say look it's just mainly like massive depression and I think I just liked the idea and I think this is the whole Christian thing they try to sell to you that you know you can pray and you can get healing and all this stuff and so I was like oh if I go here maybe I'll get healed of depression. But I, I just like the idea that I didn't have to have this anymore and that it could be a choice and that it could be all I've got to do is heal or something. So, and it's just trying to live up to that testimony expectation as well. You think, oh, like these people, they come from this and they're like, I don't need medication anymore. And I'm like, this, yes, praise God, amen. I was like, I think that was the aspiring thing to be. And these girls, and it, that was certainly consistent in the testimonies that came out of. Mercy and because Mercy was like advertised a lot in the church news and you know oh today we're donating to Mercy and so yeah it kind of came to my attention at Hillsong and I decided to apply with the support from one of the pastors from pastoral care so I applied to go and I got in yeah
3: I guess my story kind kind of similar like it was just kind of again in the earlier podcast that we did like I was I was very very young I think I was 15 when I applied and it just stemmed from just your usual generic adolescent depression. There are a couple of things like growing up that that I guess probably contributed and the program was suggested to me through the principal of my high school actually. His daughter was a graduate of Mercy Ministries and uh, it was kind of suggested when I was in year 9 or year 10. So again like 15, 16, it was, there's this place and it's great and it's church supported, Bible based, which as per previous podcast, that was kind of like how I grew up. So it really appealed and yeah, so went through the application process, got told that I would have to wait until I'd at least turned 16 and Mm -hmm. yeah, then ended up leaving school essentially for the purposes of going to Mercy after year 10. I think Sarah and I were just in the program maybe two or three months together, out mm-hmm. of both, like at the end of Sarah's stay and the start of my stay.
2: And, I mean, how did you meet? Like how did – what happens when you arrive? Like I don't know. Uh, how old are you at that
0: point, Sarah? I was 22 when I went into the program. And um, you saw this 16-year-old girl and thought, what? Um, I don't
2: know. <laughs> like it's pretty heavy. they should it's pretty heavy poor? at 15 to kind of think you need a, like a live-in residential rehabilitation program. I'd at like. the time, everything is normalised.
0: At the time, it's like, oh, it's great, yep. you know, you're getting help so young and then you can live the rest of your life like, you know, healed okay. and shit. It wasn't really, I, I think everything was normalised, everything. It's like a 16-year-old in a program. Just thinking, oh, it's a God thing. And, you know, the only the people that get into this program, you know, they put here by God because we we're always told, you know, you're placed here by God and all that. So you just think, oh, cool. But yeah, other- like everything, even when it's you told, you know, like I think you just like, oh, it's people who are here are meant to be here.
3: The other thing as well, you're told very, very early on, like essentially as soon as you walk in the doors and they're going through all your stuff, like they do it like in a psych ward making sure you didn't bring any contraband in or anything like that, which is really interesting because none of them are qualified, which I'm sure we'll touch on, but they make it very, very known that you are not to talk about your issues with any other uh, mm. applicant or, like, resident within the house. So other than unless you came in emaciated or uh, visibly pregnant, or something. Yeah. you don't really know
2: what other people's issues are. Why is that, I mean, do you think that they... What, what was the reason given anyway for why you can't talk amongst yourselves and and what do you think now in hindsight? Like how does that? I think
3: psychologically it was a tool to isolate you, to make you rely on the program that they are the only ones that can heal you because if you start talking about your issues with other residents in the program, you may pick up either coping strategies or actual strategies that other people may have picked up from psychological services or or whatever before they came Into Mm -hmm. mercy. So, restricting what you can say to other girls in the
0: program
3: forces you to rely on the staff. I don't know, Sarah.
0: Yeah, I think it was part of that because I remember you weren't allowed to talk to other girls. Like, if you had some run in with the staff or some criticism of the program, you weren't allowed to talk to other girls. You had to go to staff. And if you wanted a hug, you had to go to staff and ask for a hug. Like, you weren't allowed to touch. Each other, or hug, or do any have any kind yeah. of physical touching or anything. Yeah, I think it was part of the wider thing of you know That's being true. not not allowed to talk about things like they can. Contr- which I think like later, I think after mercy, I realized how much it affected me. Like it's like I didn't feel like I owned my own story. Like I kind of did the mercy testimony at the end, and you know you got to kind of tell it a, a certain way and follow the you know rule it but I just feel like I didn't own my story anymore and I had to sign a contract saying I couldn't tell my story and it's like it just kind of takes your voice yeah when what you sign a contract when when you graduate because that's they say there's an optional contract but when you opt to not sign it they say it's not really optional it's compulsory and if you don't sign it we will consider not graduating oh yeah just say you won't kill story where so my contract said like as they say oh you can't when you you know you're not when you leave you're not allowed to drink for a year you can't gamble for a year they just put all stuff you can't date for a year you can't tell your story or your testimony you can't serve a church for this long and it was weird because I there was a team I was serving in that I was quite happy I, I was serving a team before I went there and when I went back and I was interested but and the pastor even approached me. Said, "Hey, do you want to come join a team again?" And I was interested, but I had to check with Mercy, and they said no. So it's like, okay. So wow. I got put with some stupid other team. I, I don't. It wasn't really my thing. They, they kind of <laughs> own you afterwards as well. All right, let's let's go back a bit. So I mean, yeah. and this is the the core of
2: Mercy is that you were promised professional help. I mean, that
0: holistic. Was... Yeah, with qualified professionals. So with a holistic so, approach. Yes. And a Bible-based program. Yeah. Bible, But but
2: we're talking, you know, trained uh, psychologists and counsellors and...
0: Dietitians, psychiatrists, psychologists, social workers. Yes. GPs,
3: etc. In reality, uh, you had Bible college students dishing out medication. Wow.
2: Hillsong and College.
3: Hillsong College Bible students dishing out medication that could range from anything from a Panadol, which you had to sign for, to some of the strongest antipsychotics, the GP that you went to, so the doctor that uh, we'd go to if we were sick or we needed a prescription refill was the Hillsong doctor. So the, Hillsong had like a GP. Hillsong you know,
0: Image Centre.
3: Yep. And that was the only doctor that we went to unless it was an emergency. But if it was an emergency, you had to, when you went to the GP, the local one, uh, a staff member would accompany you into the actual session so even things that you said to the doctor were monitored yeah
0: i will just add what to what add? said. just with the hillsong doctor the gp visits there were they were supervised you had to have a staff member present so i felt that was quite coercive you had to have a staff member as hillsong sorry a mercy staff member present in the appointment you couldn't see the doctor alone
2: no privacy
0: at all okay no yeah but there were no psychologists psychiatrists there was absolutely no one that was qualified
2: okay so i mean take us through like a typical day slash week of mercy what is this program
0: i'm sandra and i'm just the professional your small business was looking for but you didn't hire me because you didn't use linkedin jobs linkedin has professionals you can't find anywhere else including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role like me
2: You graduated from, Sarah. Tell us how, like, you know what I mean? Like, what are the hoops you have to jump through?
0: Yeah, so a day in the life, well, it was very, very structured. It was very, you know, you wake up at this time and there's a shower roster, so there's three times a day. I think they did the schedule every fortnight or something, and, you, you know, your shower time would change or this would change. Every now and then, out of nowhere, your room would change and your roommates they just up and decide that everyone was going to move rooms. You, you had a laundry roster you had 15 minutes in the shower you had to make your bed like I think like within the first 20 minutes you had to make your bed with the perfect corners and everything you can't have dust on your side table they might come and check for dust and give you some kind of infraction for that you had yeah you'd had rosters for everything um you had to make sure you remembered your Medi- medication, because if you didn't and the staff forgot, then you would get punished. What else? It was very bible It's like, okay, so for this time in the morning, we're going to read the Bible, or you've got to walk around the, do laps on the driveway doing your godly beliefs, which is the word of faith you've got to read out, like these pronouncements from God's Creative Power booklet. The girl, If you've eaten breakfast and you're there for an eating disorder, then you have to go into the library and sit for 20 minutes and read your Bible. Yeah, so then there would be class, and it was just very classy and you'd basically watch a sermon, it was usually Joy Smile. Sometimes it was someone else. Oh you're you're doing between in your breaks, you're doing counseling homework, which is basically just a tape series. And it might not be homework, it might be a punishment that you got or a discipline. So they just punish you with more Bible and sermons. So yeah, what else? What am I missing? I think with a lot of Rex. like
3: go, going back to Like even stuff as basic as the shower and the laundry roster and the rooms, like if they felt, if the staff felt you were getting too comfortable either in the program or with other residents, like that would trigger a change. So even if you'd mentioned like, oh, I really like like having an afternoon shower, the next fortnight you'd find you're on a morning shower and the (laughs) reasoning would be, well, you got too comfortable, we need to break that cycle so that you're not comfortable and you can learn to kind of deal with challenges when they come your way such as an afternoon shower. <laughs> yeah, and then we'd have like rec, so recreation, which would be either running up and down the driveway or there was a pool that we were rarely ever allowed to use. I think in the whole year that I was there, we maybe used it three
2: times. If And... So well. were you both in the Sydney house? Correct, yeah. That one out in Dural, I think, and it had... Glenhaven. Glenhaven, very high walls,
3: big big gates at the front, and it was it was quite isolated. Like it was that whole area. Like when you get kind of out, it gets a little bit bushy, and it's yeah. So we did have girls there. Like there are a few during my time. I'm not sure. Like Sarah, I'm sure there were some in your time that tried to get out. Yeah, and they would be found because it was such a long walk anywhere from the the house to any kind of shopping facility or police or anything like that. Yeah, but they were quickly brought back uh, in one of the staff members' cars and then you probably wouldn't see them again. They would be either locked in their room or locked in the staff quarters and then
0: sent home. And we weren't allowed to talk about them or the fact that they were there. (laughs) Yeah how they came to leave we just we weren't allowed to talk about that either if someone left we weren't allowed to talk about it if someone had very 1984 yeah
3: <laughs> if, if someone had like a significant issue like either some kind of psychotic episode or or literally just like a tantrum we were all the rest of the residents in the house were moved to an area where we couldn't see what was going on so and then yeah there would be very strict strict rules about like talking about what happened or yeah I remember one specific instance, there was a girl who I shared a room with who I'm not sure of the backstory, like in terms of a medication, but she started having seizures and they were quite scary because it was, they could happen at any time of the day. And it was just her and I sharing a room. And I was taught, like, it was kind of, it was told to me that we've got to pray for this girl. Like it's more of a demonic thing. It's not an epileptic seizure, which it was. And they waited probably a good two or three weeks before they actually got her any kind of medical. So that was quite, it was, there was a lot of things like I remember, and keep in mind, like I was still only like 16 or whatever. And that thought process of I've brought something into the house that has triggered this demonic response for my roommate. So my room got checked and like all my drawers got checked. Had I brought anything into the house from leave? That wasn't supposed to be there that's kind of brought in this presence that's making someone sick it got quite interesting
2: that that, well interesting i mean how does that make you feel at the time you're 16 years old and you're getting blamed for powers and principalities that you don't know like
3: what i think that was kind of like that was the basis for a lot of things that happened in the house like when when there was like maybe a string of dismissals like say three or four girls got dismissed all around the same time it was that there was there was a presence in the house there was something that god didn't want in the house yeah i'm not sure sarah
0: yeah yeah it was weird i i remember that too it was just very like and then there'd be like these I feel like the control thing would ramp up as well. It's like, you know, strictly not allowed to talk about it. And and I think the whole thing, I do feel like it was made, like girls were made an example of as well, because it's quite traumatic. Like if someone was being dismissed, they'd be maybe like locked into the, there's like a staff, one of the staff officers and stuff, and they weren't allowed to go out and you could hear them crying. like, And they'd be taken to the airport the next day and... They're like, because I think the whole thing that's drummed into you there, you're told God has placed you there. This is, and and the whole mercy testimony is like, I went to mercy. It was my last and only chance at freedom and none of the secular treatment could help me. But now I've got this and mercy has God. And now I'm like, so if you feel like you have that up, then you feel like you've like, you have nothing left, like nothing because it makes you so dependent on them. And you're like, Oh, the secular treatment and the, psychotropic medication and all that. No, no, there's nothing that can help me. It was mercy was supposed to help me. And now I've stuffed up, like, and you blame yourself and you think, wow, there's nothing. you walking out of there. You feel like you're walking. It's like the, what are they, like, point in the bone? Like, it's like yep. you think you're cursed. Yep. Like, this is, what else is there? Like, I'm just going to go and die somewhere. Like, there's but nothing, that- there's no hope. Because you feel like you've stuffed something up, that God's will was for you to be there. And now you've somehow stuffed up and you've stepped outside of his will and his grace and his favor and you've gone against the staff who are god's authority over you there it's just weird but it's very it becomes harder and harder and harder to differentiate between god and staff because they become one and the same and that's that was my experience anyway that starts as well
3: from like within the application process depending on kind of the the level of issues or obviously pregnancy, they don't really have that much time to keep you on a waiting list. Some girls could be on a waiting list for a year, like over a year or whatever. But during that time, they start to indoctrinate you into the thinking of mercy. So you're sent books, you're sent tape series. And Mm -hmm. in those books and tape series, it does start to instill that belief into you that, mercy are the only people that can help you like all these stories about girls in America and mm-hmm. around the world that Nancy has helped and and the program has helped and and this is the only way and if you fail as sarah said you've stepped outside of god's will and like there's pretty much nothing left for you you're you're done so having that even before you step foot into the program for somebody that is already incredibly vulnerable no matter what issue that you're facing like it's it's hard and then you get there and it's 24/7 and it's fed to you Either through staff or through the lessons or through the counseling sessions or the tape series, like it's just yeah you you start to believe it if you haven't already believed it before you step foot in the door
0: mm. yeah,
2: I mean at the end of two thousand and seven, uh, I got some emails from a couple of young women that had been through the program and To this day, I have not encountered people who have been so, like, profoundly disturbed by the, professionally or personally, I've, you know, Mm. the the Mercy Ministries issue is close to me because it was so incredible. There were multiple emails, multiple aliases, just complete terror with these women because they believed they had been told they were responsible for various demonic happenings in the house Uh, Mm -hmm. and that, you know, this absolute terror that the founders would turn up on their doorstep if they spoke out, that something terrible would happen. I mean, it was almost... How much different was it to a a kidnapping situation where, you Mm -hmm. know, they'd been... They'd been told if they ever said anything bad, you know, there would be some terrible penance to pay. And, I mean, funny enough, because we're going to talk about how Hillsong, what's the word, detached itself from from Mercy Ministries when things got unpleasant. But these women were in particularly, were worried about uh, the Gloria Jeans coffee people turning up mm. because... Gloria Jeans was run by, at the times, a, a coffee franchise run by Nabi Sali, who was one of Brian Houston's besties and was on the Hillsong board, and a guy called Peter Irvine, who was a, a businessman and he was a Hillsong guy, I don't know mm. if he was on the board. And they were, you know, really worried that these guys would turn up because Gloria Jeans this, you know, they, it's funny, they did a lot of, they did a lot of searches. Some of the financial publications did some searches and they couldn't find any links between Gloria Jeans and Hillsong on paper. But if ever you went to a Hillsong conference, there'd be five Gloria Jeans stands out the front. So, you know, the, the d- did you have experiences with Gloria Jeans and and Mercy while you were there or did that sort of
0: come later? Sure. So I mean, Gloria they... Jeans, yeah, like that when Peter Irvine stepped in as one of the directors, that was kind of after they went, did, did all the damage crime, that was after my time. But the Gloria Jeans relationship, I do remember there'd be from time to time, there'd be a busload of guys that would, they were like from the Gloria Jeans and, and their parent company, I think from around the world. And they'd come in and do bus tours and show them around the place to try to get like, get them on board to like, you know, this is what we do. And we donate to this place and kind of get them on board somehow. I remember there would be occasional, because like Gloria Jane's would do little fundraiser things for Mercy. They always had the Mercy Ministries box, donation box at the counter. So they were very invested. Like, I don't fully understand the ties between like the financial and business ties between Hillsong and Gloria Jane's, but they, there's so like every single sign points to there being one. Yeah, but I do know, like, I mean, for example, with the Mercy entity, and because there were there were directors of Gloria Jean's on, you know, like Peter Irvine being a former director, and then there were former directors, you know, like you got like Mark Check, Darlene Check, Stephen Crouch, Alfredo Gugliucci, <laughs> Pamela Duncan, Tony Guattari. There's all these people. Like here we go: Peter Robert Irvine, Dave Green, Sam Carr, Nick Kane. It goes on and on and on. Margaret Stunt they were all directors <laughs> of, of um, Mercy at one time okay. or another and you know their names and there's like the former secretaries as well and now I remember the board meetings all these like senior people or, or Hillsong elders would turn up for the whatever they were periodic board meetings they'd go into the library and we weren't allowed to talk to them and they'd be doing their like board meeting in there so it's like you, you can't you know there's these connections you don't know exactly what they are from them, like the, the business or financial you don't know who's getting kickbacks from who but there's something <laughs> there's some very, very much a tie between all of this like I don't know if maybe Mercy was their like laundering vehicle I don't know I mean because you know businesses get kickbacks from like charity donations I don't really know I can only speculate but I mean you can't deny the business you, you can't deny. I mean, if that's just the directors of the Mercy Entity and then there's a the whole connection, you know, like how it kind of started here and Nancy. Nancy, you know, used to speak at Hillsong Conference and they were part of the whole Hillsong Women's Sisterhood thing. Like they'd preach at each other's churches and speak each other's books and all of that. Like it's just one really big incestuous family at that time. And and I would say I, 80%, easily 80% of the staff, the operational staff, were Hillsong College students or people who went to Hillsong. Certainly the corporate staff were, you know, Darlene, Mark. It was very, very, very Hillsongy,
2: Very, very, very Hillsong. Indeed, it was uh, as much as they distanced themselves when things weren't as wonderful. It's just an incredible story, what was allowed to uh, to go on and then sort of swept neatly under the closest carpet. Really appreciate their time. And part two will be with you as soon as possible. I had COVID last week, which kind of uh, delayed things. And very uh, 2020 of me, I know, but uh, onwards and upwards, as they say. Huge thank you to you for your time, tuning in, listening to us, and learning the stories of the brave survivors of Mercy Ministries and all kinds of other Hillsong-related ventures. Thank you for your messages, your supports, your likes, your shares. I think these episodes on mental health will be really, really useful. So. Pass them along to somebody that you've been thinking of while you've been listening to it. Huge thank you to my Patreons. Do not shy away from being one of those. The support is hugely welcomed. There's also PayPal and various other ways of finding us here at Leaving Hillsong. So until we talk next time, make sure you are kind to yourself these are some pretty tough stories to get through so you know if you're feeling it go easy on yourself and go easy on the person next to you You just don't know where they might have come from i just stepped out of mercy ministries keep leaving hillsong and we'll talk soon bye